Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. Uh, once again, I'm joined by ROE favorite, Vivek Jacob. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right, man. The weather is starting to perk up. My mood's starting to perk up. Uh, we've got some live soccer with the Bundesliga, thank God. Um, mm. Watching future United star uh, Holland in action. So, yeah, man, things are starting to, you know, you've, you, you're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, uh, I'm obligated to say uh, Timo Warner better. Um, <laughs> just for that Liverpool connection there. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to talk today about the most improved players on the Raptors because there's definitely been this big theme of improvement with the team. Um, but just before we get to that, um, you know, I like to ask everybody, like, how, how's your life? You know, what, what's uh, what's your daily routine like? Are you going outside? You know, are you chilling? I mean, don't snitch on yourself, but, you know, also be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely going outside for walks when I can. I try to go earlier in the day because I feel like in the evenings it gets a bit more crowded and... Mm physically distancing is a bit harder uh other than that you know trying to keep myself as busy as possible with work um complex is definitely helping me out that way they've been good to me um other than that i signed up for uh, rosetta stone um, okay (laughs) uh, trying to learn some french for pascal and serge and uh yeah just trying to keep myself as busy as possible and then the usual stuff right like just watching tv shows and movies and stuff like that yeah next thing you know this man's gonna pop up writing for Le keep no that's sick man yeah exactly pop 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 tells me um yeah damn Uh, that that sounds great man what's up with me i mean you know i'm I'm also trying to stay busy. It's weird because I don't feel like uh, the days are less busy now as compared to what they were before. There's like theoretically more time, but it just feels like you're constantly doing things around the house, small like improvement projects. You're like probably watching TV. Obviously, there's not much basketball to watch, but, you know, still trying to come up with content. And then, um, yeah, the thing I picked up most is just like these weird late night bike rides, which I think I might kind of continue when this thing is all over, uh, hopefully soon. But um, yeah, just like it's it's been really refreshing to go out for like a bike ride at eleven thirty, and there's like nobody outside. And I think it's just that kind of like feeling of well, a you you need a feeling of exercise because like there's so much less exercise happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, even just oh, like walking really cool. to do shit. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just the feeling of freedom, which is like um, you're just not getting that uh, otherwise. So it's just any little bit where you can just like bike around for like one or two hours it's uh it's been really fun so that's my no, life right now yeah what you mean because one of the things i've also been doing is uh there's like this massive parking lot right next to me with a massive wall mm. and so i've been taking a tennis racket and just like hitting against the wall <laughs> yo what um, and then you know i've got a podcast Holy. on and i just sort of 
zone out for a bit and you know i get my exercise and um yeah it's kind of a nice way to just zone out for a bit wow that's wild man that's yo that's some stuff i used to do back home like just take a soccer ball out there's just like not even grass just probably just like <laughs> just like gravel and then a wall and just kick the ball at the wall over and over again you yeah like practice your touch yeah. you know practice shooting you can draw like a net and stuff like that wow you're really taking it like old school old school yeah but i mean it, it, it's funny how like everyone's kind of going back to the things that we used to do way back right and it's just yeah that's true the non-technology life where you just found creative ways to spend your time yeah no, I mean, honestly, as a kid, like, and we'll get to Raptors in a second, but seriously, there's not that much Raptors to talk about, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> no, like, as a kid, I would just, like, probably, my, my favorite activities would just, I would knock on doors in, like, I, I lived in an apartment complex, and then I would go around the block to all my other friends' apartments and just knock on their doors, because, like, I didn't have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. we just, like, literally get together, see who's available, who's not available, and then we go to the park, we we bike around, or we played soccer, and you know, maybe a little bit of basketball, play a little Game Boy, and then go home. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. All right, cool. 2020 is the, uh, it's 2005, 2006. <laughs> all, all right, let's talk about these Raptors. Let's talk about these Raptors. All right, so most improved. So um, Nick Nurse was speaking recently. I forget where he was speaking, but he kind of said um, something that I thought was really fitting, where he kind of said, you know, it's almost like a whole bunch of these guys on the team, you know, grew five years overnight. And, you know, that was definitely the biggest thing that propelled the Raptors this year. When you think about the fact that they lose um, two, I mean, the biggest piece, the finals MVP and Kawhi Leonard, and of course, another, uh, you know, guy in Danny Green who started the whole season um, and his performance tailed in the playoffs, but still like he still had some moments there and still a very solid veteran. So when you're losing those two guys and um, I was thinking back on the day Kawhi left, I remember... um, the extra kick in the teeth was the Raptors immediately moved to sign Stanley Johnson <laughs> as a, as a result. And I was, I just couldn't get over the, the downgrade between Kawhi and Stanley. Like I even had a, some hopes for Stanley at the time. I knew he wasn't um, necessarily that productive uh, when he first came in. Didn't expect him to be this not productive, but uh, um, yeah, that was a big drop off. But the, the reason why the Raptors are uh, still basically at the exact same point, at least in the regular season, as they were last year, despite losing Kawhi and despite having all these injuries, is because of development. You got guys, and we've really identified four main guys in Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, and OG Anobi, who have taken another step in their game and really improved. Um, and so l- l- we can start with Fred. Uh, you okay. know, I think Fred, for me, is someone who has shown such a just such a big step in improvement. And I think it was really unexpected because I guess when you just look at Fred, he doesn't look like he has that much potential, you know, yeah. like whenever you see him do something, you're like, okay, this is probably his ceiling. I'm very happy he's doing this, but you're not really sure that he can really continue to improve just because some of the physical limitations and the fact that he, you know, came out of the, uh, you know, um, into the draft and obviously went undrafted, but you know, he was a four year senior as well. So it's just sort of naturally by, you know, whatever your sense of development and potential and, and growth and things like that, Fred just kind of defies that. And so to see what he did this season in which he averaged, um, Career highs, obviously, in points. You know, his, his, his scoring average went up 6.6 points. His assists went up 1.8 per game. And he also uh, is fourth in the NBA in steals at 1.9 per game while leading the NBA in deflections per game. Um, 
yeah, I mean, how impressed are you with Fred's development? And, you know, uh, what what particular stands out to you about Fred's game? Yeah, I'm really impressed with, with his development, especially when you look at that early stage of the season when both Kyle and Serge went down and you were wondering what it would be like to see Pascal and Fred uh, lead the team. And, you know, we were kind of getting a preview of what this could be like for years to come. And I thought he really stepped up to the plate in that period, showed great leadership. And um, I think the biggest thing for me is the expansion of his range. I think Mm. uh, as much as he could have been content with the way the finals ended, I think he recognized that against Orlando and against Philly, his range was an issue. And so these lengthy defenders were able to get out to him and get to his shot. And so I think being able to step out and and hit, you know, from 28, almost 30 feet, I think it's forced defenders to get further out to him. And uh, I think that's also helped uh, him blow by defenders from up top and create some more separation. And that's why we've seen an improvement in his pick and roll game as well. I think the chemistry that he's had with Ibaka this season versus last season has improved significantly. And so if there really if there was a bone to pick, I mean, you talked about uh, all, uh, all the things he's doing defensively as well. Uh, if there is a bone to pick, maybe it, it would be the finishing at the rim. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's the, that's one area where he still has to improve, where maybe even though he's gaining that separation, just his size is just an issue in terms of people still being able to get uh, to the rim and block his shot or contest his shot and uh, sort of make him have to throw up some tough shots yeah and and that's the thing where with fred it's just there's some things you really can't help right so much of fred's story is is him sort of defying the odds and things like that but i mean i don't know man you just can't defy being 510 sometimes right it's it's one thing to be kind of 510 but like young chris paul where before he had that injury and he was dunking on people and he had that lightning uh, quickness fred is very quick but he's not that level of quickness um, and it's not like he's like a Steph Curry type shooter where, uh, you know, even though Fred is a really, really good shooter, but uh, people overreact to Steph and it causes panic and he's able to get all the way to the basket when defenses break apart. Like, you know, Fred has done a better job with that. But it's just ultimately when he gets to the rim, especially when there's a contest there, it's it's always going to be an uphill battle. And I mean that literally. But um, when you look at Fred's game, though, this year, uh, one thing I think that's been good for him is just that two point guard combo with him and Kyle because um, you know he's taking uh, more shots in transition and I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that you know I felt like last season when Fred was the um, captain of the bench uh, and him and DeLon Wright were the point guards together like you know when Fred was determining the pace of the game he would almost always slow it down and he would almost almost make life tougher for himself by playing less in transition. I think now that he's playing with Kyle, when you play in the starting lineup and you play with Kyle, um, you're going to run. And yeah. I think Fred's got a lot uh, easier chances out of transition. Uh, it's It went from being 20% of his plays last year to 24% this year. Um, and he's very efficient on those. And, you know, it, it's just, as an, as an overall thing, I just think, you know... It's it's weird because I don't think Fred's skill set has changed that much. I think he's really just polished uh, aspects of his game that he had. Like he, he kind of still has the same game as he had uh, in that sophomore year where he broke out uh, as a member of the bench mob. He's just doing everything more and everything better. You know what I mean? Right. 
Uh, yeah, and I think it's interesting that you highlighted Chris Paul um, there for a little bit because I think if there is an area where he can get to another level where as much as the rim might sort of be an area where there's there's going to be a ceiling in terms of how much he can improve, I think if he can really level up that mid-range game, because um, I was looking at the NBA stat site and between 5 and 20 feet, uh, this season, he's shot 25.6%. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I think if he can just add that as an option, um, I think it's going to make things so much more difficult for uh, defenses. And I don't know if you saw this video that came out recently um, of Steve Nash on Phil Handy's uh, sort of uh, educational thing where he's like showing how to run the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, he was explaining, you know, the difference in terms of understanding angles and just finding a way to get defenders sort of off your hip and the angles that opens up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's times where Fred is able to do that. But then because he isn't as comfortable taking that mid-range shot, the, de- the defender is still able to get back in position. And so yeah. while maybe that pass to Ibaka is still there, if... If he can develop that that range, that mid-range shot, I think it, that's the next step for him to find that next level offensively. Yeah, I agree. Especially because if you expect him to be a lead point guard going forward, and that's another conversation we're going to have with Fred, but um, it's, especially if he's going to take on that sort of playmaking role, like sometimes defenses are good. Like they're, they, they know you want to get to the rim. They know you want to collapse the defense to kick out to a shooter. They know you want to pull up for three. And they're going to take away a lot of these things for you. And the options that you're left with is that kind of in-between stuff. And I think that's where maybe it's more of a function of the Raptors' offense in general. Like, they have... I mean, obviously, most NBA teams nowadays are going away from the mid-range and shooting threes and getting to the rim and stuff like that. But the Raptors are especially diligent at playing that Mori ball style uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of just at least their shot diet. Right. And... For Fred, yeah, it definitely feels like a lot of the times he, there is a mid-range shot for, there for him to take. And if he were super aggressive with the look, he would take that. But a lot of his game, especially his um, his assists and stuff like that, a lot of that is just him driving to the basket, drawing a couple of defenders in, and then you know, you know, know, hitting the kick-out pass and sort of triggering uh, the, the swing sequences is there. And, you know, that's where, you know, Fred's actually... Averaging this season 14.9 drives per game, which is a really big number. Like, that's right up there with, like, Damon Lillard and Kyrie Irving. So, right. he's driving the ball a lot. Uh, and, again, the issue, as you mentioned earlier, with him not being able to finish at the rim, he only shoots 36%. But he actually passes at 50, like, he passes on 57 point um, something, point, yeah, just 57% of his drives, which um, actually leads all starting point guards. So he's really definitely, when he does drive, he's looking to create. And so mm-hmm. it is kind of a weird trade-off there where, you know, if he's looking for a shot more, then he's probably not assisting more. Uh, right. And I guess that's a trade-off where the Raptors, you know, as an offense, they probably just said, look, it's probably better if you drive in and, and kick out. Yeah. No, I, I think in terms of regular season style, He's he's pretty much fine where he is. Like obviously he's got to get those percentages up a bit more. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the style of play, he's completely fine. I think it's just in the playoffs where you get into a setting where the best defenses are going to force you into your biggest weaknesses. I think that's where you know the mid range game could hurt him. Like you think about someone like James Harden uh, and 
you know, his regular season success versus his postseason success. I think as a defender, when you know, hey, if I chase this guy off the three point line, he is only going to take something right at the rim. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And mm-hmm. so I think that creates an advantage for the defender where whereas you know we even saw with Kawhi um last season right the second he got an open look mid-range whatever Mm -hmm. it was boom it was money in the bank and so I think that level of threat um just you know keeping the defender honest where you know even if he's on your hip like how many times have we seen Chris Paul where is the defender is scared to almost sort of catch up with him because he knows Chris Paul is gonna just you know be smart enough to stay in front of him and then sort of jerk back and draw the foul right Uh, and so i think just little things like that or where he can sort of add a bit more tricks uh to his trade and find that next level yeah for sure um you know okay so i guess this kind of comes down to the question of you know how much are you willing to re-sign him for with the raptors or how how much should the raptors be willing to re-sign him for obviously lots up in uh, the air with uh no games going on and you know, if games come back, there's probably not going to be fans in there. And so you're losing a lot of uh, revenue. I think Adam Silver said 40% of the NBA's revenue comes from games. So uh, that's going to be a big drop in the cap soon enough. Yeah. Uh, so we, we don't really know how that's going to be handled and things like that. But, um, you know, I guess assuming, you know, at least in relative terms to where the old cap environment was, like, what, what are you looking to re-sign him for? And is he... Where does he rank in terms of importance of the Raptors free agents uh, this summer? I rank him really high in terms of uh, a priority for the offseason just because I think his chemistry with Siakam is really valuable. Having them uh, as sort of the pillars of the future, I think, uh, is a huge key going down the line. I think the respect that both of those players have uh, around the league is the type of thing that can attract free agents. So, um, I think he would definitely be a major priority in terms of money. Um, yeah, we, we, we don't know what the numbers are going to look like. So let's just go off of what they were going to be anyway. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I would say, you know, I think I, I was always comfortable with something in that sort of four years, 80 million range. Um, you know, I, I, ideally a little less, um, cause I think, uh, I remember reading Blake Murphy's piece for The Athletic talking about, you know, it may, might have to be in the 70-ish range just to stay in play for the max with Giannis. Um, right, right. But uh, other than that, you know, I, I would he- hesitate to go into the 100 mil range. Um, but if you had to overpay a little bit, and that is the difference between keeping him and not, I, I would be okay with, you know, even going up to, you know, sort of that 85 uh, 85-ish range. Yeah. And, well, I mean, with Fred, it's just, it's a couple things. One, he has great leverage right now. Um, you know, the Raptors do have Terrence Davis, and he's a prom- He's very promising, and, and he's really um, delivered in his role this year, um, at least offensively. But, like, you know, Kyle's aging. You know, his, his contract comes to an end in 2021, uh, you know, you probably want something of a structure in place there. And also, if you just look at the free agency market, it's it's not that strong. And Fred is going to be on many people's, um, you know, top free agent choices and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that is also kind of tricky. But I agree, man. I I, I think you you know he's shown so much uh, in terms of 
what you're looking for. Um, you know, it, it, I think for me coming into the season, the biggest question was, is Fred VanVleet a starting guard in the NBA? And I think he proved it this year. Like, yeah, definitely he's a starting guard, man. Like, not only – first off, he started all games uh, that he's been healthy this year. Uh, he's missed a couple of games, and that's where Norman Powell has come in and stuff like that. But for the most part, uh, Fred has been entrenched as a starter. He was named that from training camp, and he kind of held it and earned it throughout the year. Now, Norm eventually came on really strong. He made that a conversation worth having, at least tactically. But, you know, it wasn't anything against Fred. Fred was playing his role really, really well. Um, and, you know, if you look at – uh, an even smaller sample in terms of just, you know, what did Fred Van Vliet do as the lead point guard uh, while Kyle Lowry was out? Because Lowry hurt himself uh, in that Pelicans game along with Serge earlier in the season. And he missed uh, 11 games there, and he missed another random game against uh, Brooklyn uh, later on in the season. But in those 12 games where Kyle Lowry was out and Fred Van Vliet was the l- definitive lead guard, Fred averaged, like, he... Let me just pull up the numbers here. He averaged uh, 21.8 points, 7.4 assists, 3.7 rebounds, 2.2 steals per game on 46% shooting from the field, 40% from three, 82% from the free throw line. And additionally, the most important thing is the Raptors went 10-2 and in that stretch. And that, you know, included the Lakers win, which was one of their best wins of the season. The Sixers win, which another one of their best wins of the season where uh, Joel Embiid scored zero points. Uh, and, you know, that 40-point uh, <laughs> advantage at halftime against the Jazz, that was also with Fred as the leading guy. So, you know, he's proven it to me that he's, a, you know, um, he's a starting caliber guard in this league. And really the only question I have left is what's the ceiling of a team with Fred VanVleet as a lead guard? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think so much of that depends on who, who, who the guard is alongside him and, you know, if Siakam is still around. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, that that team that we saw without Lowry and Ibaka, um, that was probably closer to a 500 team. Um, but again, when you factor in those type of players being there, then now again you're looking at winning close to 65, 70 percent of your games. So uh, I think he's the type of guy that you're not gonna look to, you know be sort of the second best player on a championship mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. but uh he is gonna allow sort of everyone else to be their best which is what you look for in a point guard and so i think um with siakam you, you we, we you can see his best years uh playing alongside of van vliet you look at uh, potential free agents i think they would look at someone like fred van vliet and say yeah this is someone who's going to help make me better and i think that's the biggest thing that you would look at uh, with a guard like him, so um, yeah, is the ceiling a championship if you get if you get the right pieces? Absolutely, I think so. Okay, all right. Uh, let's move on to Norman Powell, um, another guy who has really, really made a big step in his game. The funny thing with Norm is that you know he started the year like Norm, what we used to know of Norm. He was averaging about ten points per game, and there was that game against Charlotte where. Um, he was coming off a stretch where he had a two-point game and then a 26-point game. And Nick Nurse was asked about Norm uh, before the game. And Nick, you know, was like, look, I can't I, – I this inconsistency is killing me, man. Like, I can't have you scoring 26 one night and zero the next. And, you know, whatever. Nick has sort of been very blunt, and that's not the most uh, blunt critique Nick has had of a player this season. 
But nevertheless, um, you know, it, it's really funny because if you look at that, just that random game as an inflection point, over the rest of the season, Norman Powell averaged 19 points per game on 52% shooting from the field, 41% from three, and 84% from the free throw line. So just an incredibly efficient score this season. Um, what would you say is the biggest factor in, in his improvement in scoring where he's basically doubled the scoring output while also being as efficient as ever. Yeah. I would say Nick nurse just, uh, you know, those comments uh, just rub Powell the wrong way. He took it personal and he turned into MJ. Um, <laughs> Yo, the MJ I'm taking it personally. mean, is pretty funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that has definitely been a highlight uh, with this quarantine, but uh, no, seriously, I think for him, if you looked at his game, the thing you always criticized was his decision-making on the drive. And uh, there were times where he looked like he was going too fast for his own good. There were times where he was letting the ball go as he was on the way down. So it just created this sort of awkward finish for him. And and now I think he's just figured that out. I think he knows when he wants to... Uh, you know, dribble drive and kick out. He knows when he wants to get to the, he knows when he has his man beat and he can get to the rim. Like he's shooting 68% at the rim this season. It's unbelievable. That's, that's basically a big, like, yeah, like, you know, finishing like an elite big. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's huge. And then, um, yeah, I think the maturity, the other thing, obviously we always talk about with Norm is consistency. And Nick Nurse talked about that and, uh, for me to see him go from not being sure what his role was or always being pushed to the side, uh, whether it be by Damari Carroll and then having one injury and having OG Ananobi step into the starting role. I think this season for him to say whether I'm starting, whether I'm coming off the bench, I'm going to have the same impact night in, night out. I think that's been the most impressive aspect uh, for him. And then the last thing I'll touch on is the mid-range. Uh, again, I'm looking at basketball reference. Uh, field goal percentage by distance from 10 to 16 feet. Last season, 26.7%. This year, 35.7%. 16 to uh, 16 feet to the three-point line. Last season, 23.8%. This year, 47.8%. Mm. And again, yeah. like I know the mid-range isn't really um, a part of the shot spectrum anymore. Uh at least a big part of it. But I think when you just present that mental threat to a defender that you can do those things that you have that in your game, uh, I think it just makes it so much difficult, so much more difficult for a defender to anticipate your moves. And that's what opens up. I think everything else. And then obviously he's bombing away from three, two. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, listen, everything with Norm this year is good. Like, it, it's actually unbelievable. Um, even sort of beyond the numbers, and we can get back to numbers in a second, but even just beyond the numbers, like, when you watch him viscerally, you're like, wow, this guy is, like, a number like a number two option at times, a number one option at times, which is kind of nuts because you never thought of Norman Powell that way. Before, it was just, we know Norman can score, but he's inconsistent. And if he gives you something good tonight, then, you know, it's your lucky night. But uh, you can't count on consistently. Like, towards the end of the season, especially because, you know, he had that injury that kind of flared up a couple of times and he sort of knocked out the lineup. Um, both times when he came back, he came back really strong. Like, the first time he came back from injury uh, in, in January, he went on a stretch where he scored 20-plus uh, points in, six, uh, in, in his first five games back. And then when he came back the second time, 
uh, towards the end of February, uh, the start of March before the season was uh, postponed. He came back from injury and then pulled off a stretch where he had five straight games of 20 points or more. And it was really impressive to see what he was doing. Obviously, he, he's still actually technically the reigning uh, Eastern Conference player of the week because he averaged like 28 points. Per, oh, sorry. He averaged 31 points per game <laughs> for the last week before the season was canceled. Like, what? that's unbelievable with Norm. Um, and then in terms of some of the numbers and stuff like that, um, as you mentioned, the finishing on the rim is, is incredible. Like, to put into perspective... Uh, Kyrie Irving, who is one of the best finishers at the rim, especially for a guard, uh, is at 65%. Norm is at 68%. And Kawhi freaking Leonard is at 63%. And, and Norm is shooting better from there. So it's unbelievable. It's pretty much unprecedented for a guard to do what he's doing. And I really think it's just... I, th- I think Norm has really found his role. Like, it doesn't seem like Norm is doing anything that he is unsustainable. It's not like he's doing something that he's not able to do. But it's just him making smarter decisions. Like one of the biggest things when you look at his usage that increased was he's shooting, uh, he's using 30% of his possessions in transition this year. And obviously he's great in transition. Whereas last year, he was still high, 22%, but that's an eight percentage point jump for him. And really where that came out of was him running pick and roll, which he can do. He's not, it's not his strength to run pick and roll necessarily, but Last year, he was at 24% of his possessions were pick and roll. This year, it's 13%. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of that is just earlier offense. A lot of that is, uh, you know, transition offense instead of half-court offense. And he's just so efficient in that setting. He's at 1.25 points per possession in transition. And we've all seen it. Like, he's always had that asset. And, um, you know, you throw in the fact that, A, he's getting uh, just better shots. He's taking smarter decisions. And then, B, you throw in the fact that he's more poised, as you mentioned, with his finishing. And, and sometimes even more diverse, including, you know, some flip shots, some, some maybe a couple of fakes at the rim, uh, able to draw fouls at the rim as well. A lot of and ones for Norm this year. He's had a couple of floaters, too. Yeah. I mean, that game winner against the Bulls, which uh, one of the ugliest games of the year, the season, was that win against the Bulls. But, like, Norm hits the game winner on, like, a little, I don't know, like a like a push shot, I guess, from, yeah. like, 12 feet. Like, yeah. Not not an easy shot. No, no, not at all. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, I honestly, like, I know, I know we're going to touch on a few more players here, but um, he's been my most improved Raptor this season. Mm. Yeah, I think it's his improvements are so are so loud like you just notice them so much you know what i mean uh and and it's it really went from like oh cool norm's having a good night to like wow it's really cool norm's having a good night every single night and that's what it was for like the last three months of the season after he overcame his very slow start so um big shout out to norm i I, okay i I got two questions with norm um one uh what's his role going forward like is he is he a starter? Is he a six man? Like what what's what's the what's his ideal role going forward? Um, well, ideally you keep Fred and Kyle together. Uh, mm-hmm. They're the starting backcourt, and Norm is just this awesome sixth man um, that's able to fill in as a starter whenever is needed. And you know that that might be an ideal way to sort of manage Lowry's load going forward as well where you're able to have Norm just spell him for starts and you know he can take games off and uh, as and when he needs uh so yeah I think ideally that is his role I think he seems very comfortable with it I think he's shown I think well this entire roster has shown that they, they're really able to put their egos aside for team success and so I think as long as he's getting 
his 30 minutes a, a night, I, I don't think he has an issue with starting or coming off the bench. Yeah, it, it feels like it doesn't change his his role or the way they play. Right. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think it makes the most sense, too. Because, again, it, it sucks, too, but... Uh, as we've seen with the uh, the last dance, and I think it's, people should have known this already, but you know it, it's it's difficult to manage expectations and things like that. So you know, in a year where Norman Powell's set, he's on a contract, he's you know doesn't have to worry about long term security, at least especially not immediately or his next contract right now. Whereas Fred's an impending free agent, like yeah, it makes more sense to start Fred, keep everyone happy, you know, do you know basically do something that's working anyway. So. Um, my other question is sort of um, how can he continue to improve? Because for me, one thing that was actually really interesting about Norm this year was as much as he was really impressive offensively, um, he was he was not bad defensively, man. Like he was, he, so he's he's at two point four deflections per game, uh, which is ahead of a guy like Patrick uh, Beverly, whose entire job is to defend, and even you know uh, on par with a guy like OG, who's at two point five per game. And, you know, there's been a couple of games that maybe uh, maybe it's a bit of recency bias, but I remember when Steph Curry came back in that Warriors game, the guy designated to guard Steph was Norm Powell. Now, obviously, Fred was out because he was hurt. So, you know, ordinarily you put Fred on Steph, but yeah. you, the Norm was on Steph. And I actually was watching back some of the uh, some of game six uh, of the NBA Finals last year. And, you know, in the few possessions where Fred wasn't on the floor when 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 uh, when. Uh, you know, Fred was out, or once Steph was out there, it was Norm doing it, and so I think he's actually made a couple improvements defensively. I don't think he's necessarily a great defender, but he's able to use his length to be a little bit more disruptive, and it's really activated his uh, transition game. So I feel like that's something that he can improve on. But what, what do you think he can improve on going forward? Uh, yeah, I like that you pointed out that he, that he has made strides defensively. I think that's important to note, and I think. Generally, he's also just more comfortable with um, guys that are either smaller than him or pretty much the same size. I know we got caught up in that one series where he defended Paul George, and um, I know we got caught up in his wingspan a little bit as well. But mm. I think he's sort of like OG in a sense that when he's able to use his wingspan and and his sort of uh, athleticism to his advantage – then it accentuates his best skills as opposed to, you know, sort of having to do more uh, than you'd expect defending someone bigger than him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think in terms of areas of improvement, I think they're all kind of focus-based because there's still mm. those times where he does have a lapse in concentration where, you know, there's maybe, uh, you know, he, he does a flyby on a contest and then he doesn't box out. Um, and then the guy shooting the ball ends up getting the board. I mean, Siakam does this a little bit too sometimes. Right. But, um, yeah, just little things like that, the weak side help um, and just making sure the rotations are crisp. I, I think those are the only areas where, you know, it's really just a focus thing. It's a concentration thing. It's a uh, read and react thing where, um, again, you know, if he's feeling so confident on the offensive end now maybe – uh, he is able to sort of expend that energy defensively where, you know, just mentally, you know, it, it's not like he has to overthink about what he's going to do on the offensive end. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I think there's definitely, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't talked, say any. Remember he talked about this a little bit when uh, we had him on that conference call. Early. Yeah, he did. Um, and yeah, it was ma- mainly just like focus-based stuff. Right. And it's sort of, 
making reads both defensively and on, on offensively. I think defensively, honestly, he's gotten to the point where before I was like, honestly, uh, you know, just it was too inattentive and it wasn't necessarily as serious. I feel like yeah. this year his focus has been there definitely a lot more than before. And I would say he's a positive defender this year, which in previous seasons, I would say he was just average. And so I think, you know, improving from that is big for him. Um, and it's definitely just something within his own control. So he can definitely continue to do that. Um, for me, I, I think it's kind of two things. Like one, he could really be more of a distributor because if you're going to be this good at scoring the basketball, then eventually, especially when teams really scout this and teams really sort of put into place, you know, things that they want to safeguard against what Norm does, um, you know, his ability to score should also lend himself to be a playmaker. And when you look at the fact that he's averaging only 1.8 assists per game, even though his, um, scoring doubled uh yeah. that's that's kind of low like he you know he can do a little bit better with that there's a couple of possessions um you know towards the uh, i guess february and march where norm would find surge uh in the pick and roll and when and when and norm was running pick and roll you know he had a couple of uh assists that way and also in all fairness to norm his role isn't to assist his role is to finish plays so i'm not expecting him to have huge assist numbers necessarily but you know i i, I think it wouldn't be unrealistic to see him around three 3.5 if he can just make a couple better reads in terms of how he attacks the defense and then the other thing is just like free throws like if he's going to the rim this much and he's so efficient uh and he's very strong and physical and able to get to the basket then if he develops one or two tricks and he can get more free throw attempts, I think it would just be an easier way for him to uh, to boost his scoring. You know, because all the great you know scores in the NBA they are averaging like five free throw attempts per game, and right. I think that's one thing where you know maybe Norm doesn't necessarily have um, the craft. Like I'm not talking about like a Demar Derozan who has all these pump fakes and he's able to get you up in the air and he's able to draw whatever. But um, still, I I, th- I think Norm could probably add a couple more free throws to his game. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfectly valid point. I think the only thing that maybe takes away uh, from that is, as you said, the craft, right? Like, he, he's going to the rim trying to finish. He's not necessarily, mm-hmm. like, trying to draw contact. Um, yeah, which, I, by the way, I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, not, oh. I'm not trying to see more of 2015 tomorrow, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I think that's something that, that can help the team as well, right? Because you don't really have anyone on the team that is... Um, going out there and getting you seven, eight free throws every night, and you know, getting uh, you know the, one of the, the one of the best perimeter defenders on the other team in foul trouble. So, yep. um, yeah, if that if that is something that he could add to his game, it would be a huge benefit. I think he's already, um, you know, I, I think obviously Pascal is clearly um, the number one option. His ability to make reads, and uh, we'll get into that later. But I think Norm as the number two scoring option, um, I think has, has really helped the Raptors maybe find another gear in the middle of the season that they wouldn't have had uh, with without him doing what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, okay. Next guy, Pascal Siakam. It's, it's interesting with Pascal because he's just playing an entirely different game this year than he was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's almost hard to compare some of the numbers. Like you can say, okay, he's averaging – an additional 6.7 points per game, uh, you know, he's, but also his overall shooting uh, field goal percentage is down nine points, uh, right. nine percent. And he's also averaging uh, more turnovers than, than he, than he was previously. Um, but it really is just, 
it's it's so hard to compare the numbers because again it's it's almost like two entirely different players right uh if you look at just sort of the usage that pascal has such a strange usage chart so he's at 22 percent of his plays are in transition which is down actually from last year where it was 26 percent mm-hmm. he's isolating on 19 percent of his possessions which is just rare to see a guy who's in transition that much but also isolating that much he's also using the pick and roll uh, at uh, obviously a career high rate, he's at 14.1% of his possessions as a pick and roll ball handler. And it's actually nuts because he, even though he's a, like a power forward, at least on paper, he's, uh, using the, the pick and roll as a ball handler, uh, like three times more than he is as a big. He only has 3.7% of possessions as a pick and roll big. He's also posting up a lot and he's spotting up a lot. So he's literally doing everything. Whereas if you compare it to last year, mostly a guy who posted up, who hit the spot up corner jumper and went on transition uh, and occasionally mixed in a couple of isolations and the very, very rare pick and rolls. But now it's just an entirely different game. So from that perspective, for me, I think Pascal is probably the most improved just because this jump is so big. Like it's one thing to sharpen your tools and get better like Norm or even like Fred for Pascal to reinvent yourself. That's probably the hardest thing. Yeah, no, I definitely hear where you're coming from. I think, um, Especially, you know, it really sucks that the season ended when it when it did, um, because I keep thinking about those games against the Kings, the Warriors, uh, the Jazz, and the way he was closing out those games. Because yep. when when I look at the best players in the game and what they're able to do in playoff situations, their ability to control tempo and recognize, you know time and score and manage all of that uh, and do exactly what the team needs you to do. That's mm-hmm. what he was doing in those games. And, you know, I, th- I thought that was really a new wrinkle to his game that he had figured out. Um, and, you know, hopefully the stoppage hasn't me. It doesn't mean he has to like sort of redevelop that understanding again. But uh I think that was probably something that really excited me more than anything else. Um, Defensively, I think he's such a great uh, team defender individually. Um, You know, you you can put put him pretty much on anyone. Uh, His ability to get in the passing lane, I mean, that's elite. We've known that. And... You know, again, I said we we can nitpick about the closeouts in the corners. I don't have a problem with him sort of on those closeouts uh, above the break where he just leaks out because that's a big part of the Raptors transition game. But just the ones in the corners um, where he does the flyby. And again, he's just pretty much just stuck on the bench uh, instead of just instead of getting back and boxing out. Um, That's something that I would nitpick. But yeah, I think Overall, taking the usage, the, like you said, the different type of usage, um, still making sure that transition is part of his game, um, and just learning uh, in isolation. I think the biggest thing I'll say about Pascal this season is this is like an information gathering season for him. Mm-hmm. Uh and where we'll really see the strides is next season. It's like, okay, now I have this whole uh, season of information uh, of samples of how you know teams attack me in this situation in that situation and this is the first time I've been the number one guy all year now next year you know when I when I meet up with Rico Hines and we're able to work on our games together this is exactly how I'm going to pick them apart and this is what, what I'm going to do next season so for me you know 
I think the huge improvements where we'll see in him as a number one option will be next season. Um, I think the skills, you know, we, again, we can talk about the above the break three point shooting. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's been a big development for him. Um, but beyond that, I think in terms of the intangibles uh, that make a number one option, I think we'll see that next year. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, man. Um, I, I think especially one of the lessons learned about being a number one guy is just like managing your energy yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, and this is like not just the course of the season. It's like the off season and how hard you train and stuff. Because Pascal was a guy who famously is in the gym. He's working, as you mentioned, with Rico Hines throughout the whole summer, things like that. Um, it's just tough, man. Like he, if you just look at how much of his workload was there. So he goes from, you know, being a guy who comes off the bench to being a guy who's confirmed this, you know, the starting power forward, uh, last season. Of course, by the end of the season, he's the number two option. He's the most improved player throughout the playoffs. He's the number two option. He plays deep into the playoffs, obviously wins the title and things like that. So his season is super long. Uh, and then he has to train. Then he, you know, uh, went home for the first time since leaving, uh, going back to Cameroon. And he comes back, and all of a sudden, he's the number one option. And, you know, there's just times where you kind of felt like, man, Pascal's running out of gas a little bit. And that's weird to say for a guy who is so famously uh, athletic, and he's so famously um, just such a great motor. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. You can have a great motor, but you're still going to be exhausted. Like, he's not James Milner. Like, it's not possible for him to keep (laughs) doing this. So I I felt like there was a bit of a drop-off for him this season, where he started out the season so hot, was averaging like 27 points per game. Especially had to really carry the team when Kyle Lowry went down. Yeah. And and then there were blips along the way. Like, he wasn't necessarily as consistently dominant as he was at the start of the season. And I think that really just has to go to just managing his energy. Like, I think now that he has a better understanding of sort of what it takes to do what he's doing right now, what's expected of him, um, you know, I, I think he can just be a little bit more consistent over the course of the season. And, and then really it's just like the skill set, right? Like, to me... I think really the next step for him in terms of um, improvement is just he has to improve as a playmaker because you can't really be a number one guy and a number one guy who's a really efficient number one guy while only averaging like three assists per game. Like you, he, that needs to go up. I, I kind of want to see that number at around five, like another, you know, um, you know, like if you look at other big wings who sort of play, uh, as a small forward who can really attack and create like a LeBron, obviously LeBron is LeBron, but, uh, obviously high numbers for LeBron and assists there. Even if you look at a guy like Giannis, not necessarily a great playmaker, but he's at, you know, between five and six assists. So I kind of want to see Pascal get to that level as well. Yeah, no, I hear that. I think I think maybe the only counter argument to that would be that it just, just the Raptors style of play. And you look at the two guards right now in Fred and Kyle um, and how much playmaking they do. Um Maybe that just takes away from the raw numbers being there. Uh, okay. And so I think as long as the right decisions are being made, you know, whether it's him in the post just kicking it back out and getting the swing motion going, um, I think, you know, I think you're absolutely right in terms of making improvements in those areas. So, you know, in terms of the raw numbers, I don't know that we'll see like a big spike, maybe, you know, seeing, you know, the three-ish going up to like seven or eight or whatever it might be that, you know, those those eye-popping assist numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, definitely, you know, if he can get to like five-ish um, and the Raptors are still sort of able to stay in this flow that they have, 
um, and Fred and Kyle doing a lot of the primary playmaking. I think that uh, that decision making area is where I'd I'd be most you know focused on. Right, and then I think the other things are just. Um, you know, you, you just got to really appreciate how much he changed this game, man. Like, Oh, yeah. If you look at... So I was looking at some numbers for pull-up shooting last year. He was... He made one pull-up three for the entire season. At least regular season. I didn't look at playoffs. Just regular season, he made one entire pull-up three. Mm. And this year, he's already at 46. Yeah. Um, it's... it's You know, that's that's definitely a a reinvention right there. And if you look at just sort of like the numbers where you can break it down by like how many handles, uh, how many dribbles he's 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 handling the ball and stuff like that. Um, Last season, 40 percent of his shots came with zero dribbles. So that's probably a lot of transition, probably a lot of pick and roll, probably a lot of catch and shoot and stuff like that. Only 35 percent when he used three or more dribbles. This year, it's 33 percent of his possessions with zero dribbles and 48 percent with three plus dribbles so you're looking at a guy who's having to create so much of his own offense he's facing the basket a lot more than he was last season he's facing a lot more double teams than he was last season he's running pick and rolls he's doing everything as you mentioned it's almost like a weird co-op year for him before like you know he's really officially hired into the job yeah and even on that level he's really really successful so uh, i'm incredibly optimistic for pascal and, and you just know what the guy like that is he has such a great work ethic that you know, um, he's going to sharpen these things. He's going to come back even better. And, you know, we're going to be all great for it. Remember when people were questioning uh, if he was worth a max contract? That was <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> yeah. All right. The last guy we're talking about, OG Anobi. Um, so it's weird because his numbers aren't necessarily eye-popping like the other guys. Um, but I would just say a super efficient season in terms of in his role, right? As, an, as the fifth option... To give 50% shooting from the field for about 11 points per game, shooting 38% from three, career highs across the board. Um, he just he just really excelled in his role this year, and it really kind of confirmed you know what OG can be because there was a bit of bit of doubt. I mean, as a rookie, you know, definitely a lot of enthusiasm for what OG did. He really fit his role uh, well at the time, but he was still very clearly a limited player, and he's still still limited now, but. It's definitely such a big improvement from where he was last year, where he was sort of really up and down. Um, you know, obviously circumstances factor into that one, but it's just nice to see OG hold down the starting forward spot all season, uh, and be great in this role, defend really well, be efficient with his offense. Uh, I'm just overall really happy with OG. So it's not even necessarily an improvement so much as it's just a meeting of expectation, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think... Uh... You know, you talk about offensively, yeah, there, he's very limited in the sense that he can't really create his own shot. You know, we, we've seen uh, maybe a couple of those pick and rolls uh, this season where, he, you know, Marcus Gasol has set a screen for him and he pulls up from the mid-range and you're like, whoa. Uh, mm. But outside of that, it's been pretty much everything coming from the three-point line or at the rim. And considering he's the fifth option, that's really all you need. And so for him to do those those uh, perform at those aspects of his game so efficiently. I think that's a big plus. Uh, then you look at him as a one-on-one defender uh, with Kawhi and Danny Gunn. He's had to take on the responsibility of defending the opposition's best player. I think he's been excellent. He's definitely, you know, all defensive team. Uh, he should be in the conversation for all defensive team. And mm-hmm. so uh, there's really nothing you can criticize there. Um, 
I think he's definitely taken some lessons from Kawhi from last season, the way he's defending now, the way he's picking pockets. Um, you know, I'm sure you remember Kawhi sort of had that swipe move uh, mm-hmm. when when players would go to their dribble, and I think he's yeah. he's really picked that up. Um, yeah, the then, crossover when the ball's low. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so um, kudos to Kawhi for that. And but I think the biggest thing for me is he's playing the position that's most natural to him. Uh, yeah, rightfully I think a lot of people attribute last season's struggles to what happened in his personal life. But I also thought uh, a big factor was the fact that he was playing so much of the four. And yeah. So I think you know you wouldn't think of it naturally. Like he's so strong and athletic. You're say, you're saying okay, you know why can't he play the four? But mm-hmm. I think the numbers are just clear evidence that. Um, when he's at the three or even sometimes downsizing to the two, um, he's able to use his strength and athleticism so much more um, to really be a burden on uh, whoever he's defending. Um, that I think, I think that's when, again, his, his strengths get accentuated as a defender. Um, so, yeah, I think everything that you wanted out of OG this season, you've pretty much got, I don't know uh, what else you could have wanted, uh, you know, in terms of your expectations of him coming into the season. So I think you hit the nail on the head with the sort of expectations point with him. Yeah. And the point of my power forwards is just perfect because last year, 76% of his minutes at the power forward spot this year, 35%. And you know, that's just, yeah, it's just it's it's weird because as I agree with you, he does have the physicality to play there. Um, you know, even occasionally Nick Nurse has teased the idea, maybe even occasionally playing OG at center, but it, it's just he doesn't play like a big. It just you know it's just not his game. He he plays like a wing, and you know, um, and you, yeah, I I, I think like the rebounding needs to get better if he's going to be more of a big. Like if he's going to be like a, a PJ Tucker type power forward, which I hope he isn't. But uh, if he's going to be like that, well, P.J. Tucker's a really good rebounder. And yeah. OG doesn't strike me in the same way. doesn't have the same enthusiasm for to grab a board as as uh, the sneaker king. Yeah, and, and the other thing I'd just add to uh, the 35% that he's played at power forward this year, I think that would be even lower if not for the injuries that the team has had to deal with. That's true. Yeah. Um, if this team is has was healthy for the majority of the season, and you had Ibaka and uh, Gasol and um, all the other guys available, I, I really don't think that number would be even close to thirty five percent. So, uh, mm. I think again, we we know how important role and situation is in the NBA, and I really think this year, um, much more than last year, has suited what he's uh, best suited to do in the NBA. Right. And I, and I think, look, there is definitely a ceiling for him. But right now, he's found a really nice niche for himself. Um, if you look at his usage, you know, 25% of his shots come in transition, 35% come on spot-ups, and 11% come off cuts, which is perfect. That's what you want a, a fifth option to be, essentially. And he's done really well in that role. I guess the question is, like, you know, how does he go from being a fifth option to becoming a fourth option, maybe a third option? And to me, I think it just has to go down to the handles like it, it's it's you know even a guy like Rondé, um, he's able to get to places and then um, he's able to move in a way where he's able to use his physicality as a real advantage. With OG, the only time you can really see the physicality as an advantage, obviously defensively, but uh, in post ups, and you know that's 
Yeah, I would say his post ups, even though they're kind of effective, but like they're they're kind of ugly. And um, I just think it comes down to my handle. Like if he can really develop a handle, then he can be more of a driver because he's so big and physical, especially at his position. But until he gets the handle, and right now he just it's just not there for him, you know. Yo, if if Rondé is a measure for offensive improvement, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a long way to go. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But you agree though, like Rondé yeah, has a better I, handle I, than I him. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Yeah, and that's a, that's an issue. <laughs> Rondé can't finish to save his life, but um, he has a very uh, unique style of getting to his spots. Mm. And yeah. Um, also, his spots are unique. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So, yeah, yeah. OG just needs um, a couple of pet moves that I think that he can go to. And that's the thing, right? Like, being being on this Raptors team with so many offensive options, he can work on almost, like, exclusively one move at a time. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to nail this down. And then once once that's perfected, I can move on to the next one. But, it, but, but in terms of... Uh, what he needs to be able to go to, it's very rarely that they're going to look to him uh, to create offense. It, mm. It's very rare that he's not going to be in a position where he's either taking, uh, you know, a, a spot up three um, or, you know, attacking a closeout. Mm-hmm. So it's just being ready for those other moments where maybe, you know, there's a late kick out. And and the defenders on you, so you just need, uh, you know, a, a little something extra. So again, I think I think you're right. It comes down to the handle. Um, he does have sort of that. I don't know whether to call it rigidity or just general awkwardness when he's handling the ball. Um, I think general awkwardness is <laughs> descriptive <laughs> of many things about OG. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it's just it's not necessarily as fluid as as you see with other guys, you know. Yeah, so I don't know if that's something he'll ever get away from, but yeah, if if if, the, if there's a, just a couple of pet moves where he he can just rely on sort of mentally, it's like, hey, this is Plan A, this is Plan B, um, then then you know I think that's sort of the next step for him offensively. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, listen, go get go get Phil Handy back, man. <laughs> that's a guy who can know that's a guy who can get you handles man yeah um, yeah if, if og can get that and that's the thing with og is too is it's very in, in, intriguing with og because he's only 22 years old yeah like it's it's there's a lot of time for him to develop and stuff like that like you compare how polished he is as compared to someone like fred well fred's like 27 you know it's it's a it's a lot of time for og to sort of make up and sort of there's a big runway um, so I, I'm very intrigued for about him. So, um, out of these four guys, then now that we've talked about all four of these guys taking improvements in their games and stuff like that, how would you rank them in terms of uh, who improved the most? To I mean, at least relatively speaking, who improved the least out of these four guys? So, I said before that I would put Norm number one. Okay. Um, so I think I will stick with that. I, w- I would say Norm one. Um, I would say the challenge that Pascal has had in terms of taking on the number one role, mm-hmm. uh, I would put him at two. Mm-hmm. I would put Fred at three. Uh, but it, but but it, I, I would say there's very very little separation between the two. I think the strides that Fred has taken as well are 
important because he let's face it he's had an expanded role too right going from, oh yeah uh coming off the bench to doing what he's done this season so it, it's almost like 2a 2b with those two with pascal and fred and then uh honestly in terms of improvement i think surge is right there uh, that's a good call Serge has been phenomenal this year. I, I, <laughs> it's unbelievable. He, it's been so satisfying to watch Serge in his role. Uh, why? Why do you have Serge? Like, what? What? What have you seen in terms of improvements from Serge? Uh, so, I think the the two things that stand out from watching him this season uh, will be the three point shooting and just his decision making uh, as as far as making plays for others are concerned. I think. Mm. Um, you know, let's face it, we, 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 since he's come over to Toronto and even before that, it always felt like the ball stopped um, once it was in his hands. I think he was really uncomfortable um, with playmaking. And that, and a lot of that, it comes down to uh, sort of his basketball upbringing in Oklahoma City. That was just, you know, you, you watched Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And then if you got the ball... Uh, it was to shoot it because there was a double team on one of those guys, um, and so I think he's he, he's had to sort of take his time uh, and figure out this Raptors offense and really get comfortable. And I think now you know we see the reads uh, that he's able to make, whether you know it, it's on the catch and then just swinging it to the weak side corner really quickly for a look or. Uh, I mean, one time we even saw him be so unselfish, he passed it to Fred out of bounds. Uh, <laughs> so, uh. so I think the strides he's made in that area have been incredible. And then, yeah, I think with the three-point shooting, I think that's something uh, that you can't ignore. Because last season, he wasn't really a dependable option. Um, yeah, it was weird. Last season, he only shot 29% from three. Uh, which is strange because Serge has been a good three-point shooter in his career uh, pretty yeah. consistently. Uh, he's at 36% for his career. He's at 40%, as you mentioned, this year. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, 29% last year. Bit of a blip. But I, I think, honestly, it was just he had to transition to playing center. So he just wasn't practicing threes. Like, right. Maybe some, something as simple as that because Serge is such a hard worker. Like, man, yeah. when, you, when, you're, when, you, when you're at practice, and it's probably going to be a long time um, <laughs> until we're back at practice – Again, at least as media and doing scrums and stuff. Definitely not doing that again. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, when you were at practice and you're waiting and they were like, all right, we're going to get Surge as one of the people you're interviewing, you just know you're going to be there for another two extra hours because Surge is going to be working for that whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. But, like, when you see him, you really respect him because he puts in so many reps into what he does. And he's gotten so polished at things where he's so dependable in terms of if you hit him on the roll – and he's going for a little short hook shot. Great touch on that. You can mm-hmm. really practice, really rehearsed. Everything's the same each time, and he's going to make that shot. Or the mid-range pick and pop, which he's so good at. Yeah. Um, and I think for a while, he was just working so much on being a center and the skill set of a center. He just wasn't shooting as many threes, and now he's back to shooting a lot of threes. The Raptors actually have a four-point line on the on the practice court, too. You yeah. notice that, right? Like They have the tape where it's like maybe a meter back from the actual three-point line. And Serge is even practicing those. So shout out to Serge, man. What an improvement for him. The one last thing I want to add is uh, sort of the underlying influence that Mark Gasol has also had in his improvement. Um, yeah. And, you know, Serge has talked about how he's he's seen Mark Gasol make plays for others. And it's like, hey, he, he wants to be able to make those type of plays too. And then going back to last season, 
you know, one thing that the Bucks tried to expose was they would trap Lowry in the pick and roll and they would say, mm-hmm. hey, Serge can shoot that pick and pop every time because we will play the math and we will ha- let him take the, the mid-range two every time. And so now when he's by, by being able to improve his three-point shot, you know, it kind of counters that overall team defensive strategy for opponents as well. So, yeah. Um, so I think those are two. Those are the two biggest areas that he's improved that really make an Im- impact on how the Raptors are able to play. Mm. Yeah, no, so, shout yeah. out to Serge, man. Again, it, it's also tough because uh, the context here is he's in his eleventh season. He's made tons of money out of the NBA. He's a champion, everything like that. To still have motivation, to still work that hard, and to still improve is it's really impressive, man. Contract year, baby. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Contract your surge, man. I'm unbelievable. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would probably go for the same, you know, I would say Fred is three and OG is four, but I, I would say instead, I, w- I would say uh, Pascal's one. Just, I, I just think it's such a big change and it's so difficult to make that change for what he's doing now. Um, and the fact that he's reinvented his game to do that in your first season as, as their number one option is wild to me. So, um, he gets number one, and then I guess Norm gets number two. But uh, yeah, so the Raptors, man, I, I missed them. Just talking to you about the last for the last hour about the Raptors and about actual Raptor stuff, not like uh, you know, here's a look back at Vince, and you know, obviously that stuff is real cool, and um, it's been fun to look at the stuff. But yeah, man, this current season, oh man, yeah, I'm really excited because the the news sounds like they're gonna come back soon, and uh, if they can do so safely, and they can actually play through these games, and you know, there's a system in place and everything like that then yeah i'm excited i I miss the raptors man oh yeah man i'm right with you as long as uh they can figure out the right way to do it that you know they're not taking away tests from people that need them and all that that type of thing uh it'll be great to be able to watch some live basketball again yeah how long do you think it takes until they let media back in media back in man that's gonna be a minute man i mean Shoot, I want to. I want to. I want to keep my access, so I'm not going to say too much. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah. It, it look. Uh, it, it might be difficult. We might be doing Zoom calls with uh, live from the the locker room and stuff like that. Which honestly, I kind of prefer because squeezing in there and doing the scrum thing is just. I don't know, man. It feels so outdated. Like you have the press conference like setup and everything like that you know all the technology is there the infrastructure is there it makes more sense to do that regardless you know what i mean yeah yeah i hear that i hear that yeah all right i'm gonna stop pressing on this so uh <laughs> v thanks for coming on the podcast um what you know what, what do you want to plug what do you want to link you know all that good stuff that you're putting out there right now um yeah you can check out my usual stuff at complex um i think the last piece that went up was my five reasons why nick nurse should be nba's coach of the year uh, everyone's pretty much done that piece already but i thought oh, what, what's the fifth reason i mean we know most of the top reasons but what's the fifth specific reason um so i basically my fifth reason was something that shouldn't be a knock against nurse so i think some people might look at uh, the Raptors and say, oh, their record against sub-500 teams is amazing, but they haven't done as well against plus-500 teams. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, when you look at them, they started out 5-12 and 12 against plus-500 teams. So to go from that to now be 11-14, and 14, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, I think some of that is uh, having health. Some of that is uh, the guys figuring things out. And I think that's the biggest thing you want to see as a coach is like, are you able to figure things out? So to go from five and 12 and sort of figure out what needs to be done and see Occam to figure things out, um, you know, I, I, th- I think that's sort of an underrated aspect of the coaching the improvements that he's made over the course of the season. Mm. Okay. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, one thing I, I want to say, check out on your behalf, you made, you and Faisal made an elite elite performance on the Stephen LeBron radio. <laughs> I have not even seen this movie, but I really enjoyed it. So to tell people about this too. <laughs> wow. It, yeah. Um, so yo, I, I really, I really support your guys work, man. Come on. You know, thanks man. I appreciate it. Uh, so the origin story to this is last year during, uh, the Raptors play run. Alex Wong came into one of those Yahoo post-game shows wearing a Kuch Kuch Otahe uh, t-shirt. And what? Why? How did he have that? He So he had no idea what he was wearing. And so when I saw it, I was like, why are you a fan of this movie? And he's like, what? So he told me he went to an Indian wedding. And so... The couple, I guess they're big Kuch Kuch Ota fans. So they had their faces imp- uh, sort of um, imposed onto that sort of Kuch Kuch Ota poster and onto shirts. And they gave it to the guests that came in. Oh, okay, okay. So that's why he was just rocking that, sort of supporting them. He had no idea that it was a movie and all that. Mm. So when I explained all that stuff to him, he was like, okay, I got to watch this movie at some point. Um, and there's no better time to watch, uh, three, four hour Bollywood films than right now. So, uh, <laughs> so Alex, it was very the- enjoyable. I don't, I don't want to say like, it made me really want to watch the movie. I don't have three hours to spare right now, but <laughs> the podcast was great. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. And then, yeah. And then we did the podcast, uh, podcast shouts to Faisal, um yeah it was a lot of fun never never talked about bollywood on a podcast before but it was definitely fun oh man you sounded you yeah, you came with the facts as you always do but you really <laughs> came out with the facts man yeah i'm looking at it now on wikipedia 1.07 billion dollars in box office like what <laughs> yo did everybody in india see this like what happened pretty much man pretty much okay um yeah wow. like the main the main uh, duo in that movie, the, the star couple, like they're sort of this iconic couple now uh, because of like a stretch of movies that they did. And this was like definitely one of the big ones. So, yeah, man, right. if you if you have prime and you have a few hours, I, I, I'd say check it out and then give you a lot more context to the podcast. Yeah, there you go. So, all right, V, uh, as always, thanks for coming on. And as for the podcast, uh, there's no classic reaction podcast this week, uh, but there will be more of that next week and of course another episode uh, of the Raptors of Everything podcast so thanks for listening I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.